Welcome back, everyone. You're watching We Heart Therapy, the special series EFT Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Annabelle Bugatti, licensed marriage and family therapist and certified EFT supervisor and therapist here in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. And I'm very excited to welcome to our show today, we have Dr. Julia Altera. She is one of our EFT trainers in Italy, and she's also helping to bring EFT to Brazil. She trains therapists both in Italian and in Portuguese. So amazing that she's trilingual and that she's here today to talk to us about pursuer softening. And so welcome, Julia. Thank you so much for joining us all the way from Italy. Thank you so much uh, for having invited me. It's a great, great pleasure to be here. It's a, it's a great uh, um, way to speak about EFT. I really enjoy your videos uh, since uh, my early uh, becoming an, a young an EFT therapist. Uh, so it's uh, really great what you are doing. Thank you. Well, thank you. That's so wonderful. And it's just such an honor to have you here today. And so for those who are joining us that maybe aren't super familiar with EFT or some of the language, maybe they're new to EFT, what do we mean when we use terms like pursuer and withdrawer? Mm -hmm. This is really an important question because um, when we speak about pursuer and withdrawer, we are uh, speaking about position uh, in the cycle. We need, uh, and it's something that uh, uh, it's important for an EFT therapist to know, to identify this position that uh, the two partners have in the cycle into this dance to can, uh, to. To, to be able to tune in uh, into the, their longing and needs and fear and understand the move that they do into this dance. And the pursuer, uh, we identify the partner in the position of the pursuer uh, as the partner which is more, which fear more the aband abandonment and who takes the more critical stance sometimes uh, when they are uh, in um, separation distress, for mm -hmm. example. And we can recognize them uh, um, sometimes uh, through phrases that they can say like, uh, uh, you are not always with me, you are not important to you, you are not doing what you are supposed to do, uh, but not also with these, uh, the, because sometimes it can be um, challenging uh, understand the, the, the pursuer only for the, the behavior, for example, because sometimes we can have very quiet pursuer so to me, something that was helpful was imagine like a continuum and uh, uh, see the person which are more um, longing and needed and trying to get the connection. They really want the connection. And the, and the withdrawer is the, partent, uh, the partner which is more in an avoidant stance. Mm -hmm. um, some, uh, usually they freeze, uh, they, they, they blocked, uh, and basically because they fear rejection, they fear mm -hmm. failure. Um, this means that they doesn't want connection, no, but they prefer to uh, protect uh, their, uh, their their self and the relationship to go back to a calm state yeah. and then finally connect with the partner yeah so all this is so helpful julia thank you and and let me um see if i can um uh, clarify and, and you tell me if i'm if i'm getting everything that you just said correctly so um, kind of pursuer withdrawers are positions um, in the cycle, and they're really the way that a partner might react to 
distress or disconnection. And a pursuer tends to be somebody whose body, whose nervous system organizes them to go towards connection first before, like they need to make sure the relationship is okay before they can self-regulate, right? Whereas a withdrawer, you know, who also craves connection, but their body, sort of their nervous system more drives them to move away and, and go into self-protection mode and get themselves on solid footing before they can make sure the relationship is good. So yes. at the end, they both want connection, but they just have two different, the order is different. Exactly, exactly. And that's, that's, oh, <laughs> that's why they are having these uh, different uh, moves yes. into the cycle. Yeah, and, uh, they miss each other because they're yeah. in different orders. Exactly. And yeah. we seeing this dance and this uh, through between this position, we, we, we can imagine a, a journey to unsafe attachment and safe attachment. And that's why we are going later into the yeah. pursuer softening. So. And it's so important just to get a foundation of who pursuers are and what they do so that we understand what pursuer softening is, which we're going we're gonna to get to. But let's continue to build this foundation a little bit. So, you know, you talked about some behaviors associated with pursuers. And it seems uh, kind of what you said, Julia, is that, you know, you're really looking for in a pursuer you're gonna notice somebody who's constantly anxious, usually anxious about the relationship, moving towards relationship and connection priority. Their distress really focuses around not having that connection or having it go away from them. And they sort of like can get stuck there or really hyper-focused there. Um, and they don't know how to feel safe if the relationship is not okay. Yeah, exactly. And they are, as you said, uh, they are more anxious. You can see and feel this anxiety to be connected to their partner. And uh, also you can feel the difference of energy compared mm -hmm. to the withdrawal. Uh, and and um, like these, a pursuer might like blow up your phone if they exactly. fight. They're gonna text, text, text. Or yeah. a withdrawer might like go silent for exactly. you know a couple hours or a couple days sometimes. Exactly, and these uh, happen in session also, and that's why the therapist uh, uh, should really tune into these two type uh, two kind of energy and uh, really knowing and have the a felt sense of this, uh, what does it mean, what this energy means, what this anxiety means uh, for the pursuer. And uh, for the pursuer is something, um, it's, uh, it's a way to survive, it's a way to fight for the, the couple, to fight for the relationship, uh, it's a way to work and work and do something to try to find the partner. So the intention is really good. But for the withdrawer, this is not good. This is dangerous. It's really yeah. dangerous because we yeah. are going to fight again and again yes. and again. Withdrawers don't seem to like that strong fight energy. They like to avoid the conflict Whereas a pursuer will say, I'd rather fight than not be connected. And if mm -hmm. I have to fight through some weeds to get connected, that's what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And it's so important. I like what you said. It's so important to be able to understand what it is that we see in front of us because it helps us organize and make sense of these moves that each couple is doing, their strategy, their own way of trying to um, cope with disconnection and fight for connection and how those differences create those misses where they miss each other which then creates more disconnection and organizing it and making sense of it 
helps the couple to start to understand their own moves and make sense of it. And, and a lot of times that can bring a lot of the tension down. It's like, ah, oh, finally some sense to this pattern that we get stuck in. Yeah, you used uh, an important word. You said uh, to organize. And that's really the, the, we use this energy, the energy, the power of emotion in stage one to organize the pattern between them. And to help them, as you said, uh, to own their own moves, but also understand, really understand the moves of the partner, because it's not, sometimes they can understand themselves after that we help them to organize, but uh, or understand and accept the moves of the other, the, the moves that the other does and that are the ones that are hurting are really painful this is really difficult and this is the the, the focus and the the first uh, um, event of change of the de-escalation stage one yeah. so let's talk about that a little bit more um let's maybe talk about what, what we mean when we say pursuer softening and maybe talk about why this comes in stage two versus stage one. Because oftentimes what I hear um, therapists who come to me for supervision or consultation will say, well, you know, if the pursuer would be soft, then they wouldn't, you know, then the withdrawer would engage and then they could not be in the cycle. But, you know, it's, it's a lot deeper than that. And there, that's a reason why we don't do that part of their dance until later. So can you help understand what the difference is between pursuer softening and the work we do with the pursuer in stage one? Yes, of course. Uh, um, even because uh, the, the pursuer softening is um, uh, one of, is the third change event, which is the probably the most important. Without that, uh, we cannot really have uh, a big shift uh, into the relationship. So in stage one, we help uh, the pursuer to understand and to organize uh, what is uh, uh, inside him uh, behind uh, the anger, behind uh, their pursuing stance um, and help and we help the partner also to see this. And uh, it's something that we do through a lot of validation, matching the energy and the affect, uh, uh, staying with the pursuer. Don't try to take the pursuer in another place. As the same we do with the withdrawer, we don't try to, 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 to change uh, the, the withdrawer into a pursuer, but uh, we help them to understand their moves and what uh, there is inside them. And uh, in, in the second stage, we try to, um, we try, we really build a new cycle, a positive cycle. So mm -hmm. we are going much more deeper. And about what your supervisees says, uh, and, and many of the therapists says, also I at the beginning, like, but we just want to connect them. And, uh, but no, because also in stage one, sometimes we can see some softening with the pursuer. We can see uh, through the de-escalation that they understand, that they start to understand their moves yeah. and moves. De-escalation in and of itself is sort of a softening process in that it sort of takes the energy out of the escalation. But, yeah. you know, like what you're saying is stage one is really about organizing um, the moves between these couples, helping them make sense as to the moves that they make how that impacts each other, how they miss each other, and the, the good attachment intentions behind their strategies so that we can also help build some more um, flexibility, uh, empathy for each other, opening yeah. up the doors. But then, 
you know, in stage two, you know, just so stage one, we've helped couples work through de-escalation, but the absence of conflict or the minimal conflict doesn't always mean the presence of connection. So when you say we're going deeper in stage two, this is where we're helping both the withdrawer and the pursuer to start uh, interacting with their own needs, their, their voice, advocating for their desires and what's important to them. And, you know, withdrawer, we help, they're the ones who, who are used to kind of minimizing or dismissing their voice, whereas the pursuer is used to having a voice. But when we say pursuer softening, it's not because we're not, you know, it's not about the de-escalation. It's now we want them to be able to take that sharp edge maybe out of their, their vulnerable ask, right? Because when they get caught in the cycle or when they're used to a withdrawal not showing up for them, then when they ask for their needs, it can be in a very sharp and pokey kind of way and not super vulnerable. Like, I need you. It might sound more like, you're never there for me or how come you're, you're too busy on your phone versus hanging out with me right now, right? Yeah. So why does withdrawal re-engagement have to happen before we soften the pursuer? Because basically if we start with the pursuer, the withdrawer is not still on the dance floor, as Sue Johnson said. Mm -hmm. uh, so we need uh, um, to work with the withdrawer first uh, so he can be present to take and own the vulnerability of the pursuer because uh, and also because uh, we, the withdrawer is uh, triggered by the vulnerability of the pursuer usually so if we help uh, the pursuer to risk again one more time and show the deepest fear and needs this could trigger a lot the, the withdrawer and he can disappear again and the pursuer will fall again one more time so we really need uh, to help the withdrawer to be present uh, to share his own vulnerability and ask precisely what he needs to the pursuer in an engaged way. He needs to be engaged in the relationship uh, and affirm her needs. He can have a voice in a safe way. Because what you're saying is so important, Julia. You're really like painting this picture. You know, pursuers tend to be very engaged in their relationships, sometimes really, really engaged. And they're, they're the ones who will be reading the books and asking for the podcasts. And, you know, they, they will do everything they can above and beyond. Yes. Above and beyond for their relationships. And they tend to find their withdrawing partner as a mystery on the inside. And that mysteriousness, while it seems alluring when they're first like dating in the honeymoon phase, eventually it feels less of this alluring mystery and more of a closed door, like a place that I can't enter. And I'm a pursuer, <laughs> that's my position. And um, you know, it's that, that absence of that emotional inner world that's being shared that can feel so threatening for the pursuer. And so what you're saying Julia, is that it's really essential to get the withdrawer engaged, right? We're not, I like how you said, we're not necessarily turning the withdrawer into a pursuer, but we're helping them at least to be present and yes. to say, hey, I have a voice, I have thoughts and opinions, and I have needs to feel loved and respected and supported or comforted. And I'm in this relationship because I want to get those met from you. And now, I'm going to start at least sharing those with you, even if I don't with anybody else. So you're saying we really need to have that happen first. And sort of the metaphor I use for this place, and you tell me if you think this is funny. I always imagine a flying trapeze with you have the two trapeze artists, but, you know, the whole relationship, the pursuer is the one always on the trapeze bar 
you know, mm -hmm. flying around, doing whatever. And yeah. they feel that absence, that emotional absence of their partner's engagement. And so pursuer softening is where we're getting the pursuer to start vulnerably reaching and asking for their needs. But you're saying if we have them, like they're swinging, they're taking a risk. It, to me, risk, I just imagine jumping off into something that feels really scary. And, you know, it's like if this is a two-person act and I'm a pursuer who's supposed to take that leap off my trapeze bar, I got to know my partner is going to be on that bar and they're going to have their arms out to catch me. And if, yeah, so if that withdrawer can't even interact with their own emotions and they can't hold space for the pursuer's emotions, right? So anytime the pursuer starts to share, like in stage one, the withdrawer might go away. Now you're just helping them to stay present. So then the pursuer feels a lot more safe and then they can start asking for those things without fear that they're going to get abandoned. So you need to make sure that that withdrawer can not only tolerate their own emotional space, but that of their partners where we already know the pursuer can do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that is the, 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 the image that you use. It's really beautiful and really gave the sense of the fear that the pursuer, but also the withdrawer first, <laughs> both of them can, uh, can have, uh, can feel through this reaching part. Because yeah. the steps that we are going to make in stage one with both of them are the same, even if there are different steps but the reaching and asking for the needs it's the, the same so yeah. this image it's really it's beautiful yeah yeah thank you and I, my metaphor for the withdrawal i like what you said it's the same for a withdrawer is that they also need to feel safe to be present and for them i kind of think of the i don't know if you guys have this in italy but we have this arcade game called whack-a-mole <laughs> and it's like these little like little prairie dogs or I guess they're moles which is a little rodent creature in America they pop their head out and you take oh, a okay, hammer okay. Yeah. yeah and you bop them down so it's like that's often when withdrawers are with a critical pursuer it feels like that as soon as I pop my head out I'm gonna get whacked yeah. and that's why it's so hard so that's why de-escalation is so imperative to come before the softening. And the softening, again, is just more about deeper vulnerability. It's not about de-escalation. Um, de-escalation helps bring that energy down so that, A, the withdrawer stops feeling like I'm going to get whacked every time I pop my head out. And then yeah. it's safer for me to come out and like, oh, actually I'm a person and I have needs and thoughts and feelings in this relationship and mm -hmm. I'm going to start sharing my humanity with my partner. Yeah, yes. Even, and even sometimes uh, they can have a bit uh, of uh, mm -hmm. uh, the hammer yeah. yes. because uh, till uh, the week... Um, until we will not uh, have the, the pursuer softening event, mm -hmm. the pursuer will pop up with some critical yeah. demands or can pop up with the cycle because right. there is a big fear because uh, the, the, the risk of the trapeze, mm -hmm. actually they did it uh, several, several times probably in their past too and, and they it's a common experience for a pursuer they really fall a lot of time mm -hmm. and and they a part of them know that probably nobody will pick them nobody mm -hmm. will choose them nobody will yeah. take them even when they are showing their best part like i'm doing everything for this relationship Imagine if I share my fear my, and if I'm going to take a risk. Yeah. It's crazy. What, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> what you're kind of saying is that the way a withdrawer experiences rejection, because both, both partners worry about rejection and abandonment, but a withdrawer, they, they 
feel it more from criticism. That's the way that they get whacked. Whereas a pursuer isn't so afraid of criticism. They're yeah. the way that a pursuer gets whacked is by having their partner sh not show up. And both positions sort of make sense. I mean, if you, your experiences in life told you, if you show up, you're going to get punched in the face, you wouldn't show up. Like who in their right mind would show up for that, right? So it makes sense that your experience have taught you to survive. You need to go away and get safe versus a pursuer who's like, my worst fear is showing up and having no one be there for me, having them just leave or not talk, not open up um, and reject me that way. So that's their greatest fear. And they, they can like white knuckle it and grab on with every fiber. Like, no, I'm not letting you go. I'm not letting you leave. I'm not yeah. letting you abandon me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, and I, you said something too that was so important. You said that even still in stage two, pursuers can sort of show up with a critical edge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we see that when they start asking for vulnerability or their withdrawing partner starts to engage and they're like, well, it would be really nice if you would do this at home, <laughs> you know, like exactly. there it is again. Exactly, exactly. And that I think that uh, this is uh, also important uh, to remember for therapists because uh, uh, sometimes in supervision, uh, it happens uh, some two, three days ago that in a supervision, the therapist came and said, we were in stage two. But the cycle happens again, and she I said, yeah, but look at the difference. Look at the, what happened. Yes, it looks like, and, and it is actually some criticism, but it's much more different mm -hmm. from the beginning. So the therapist, I think that um, this is something that we can remember to don't uh, panic in session and to say okay this is normal this can happen let me tune again with the emotion and with the with the with what this person is feeling yeah that's so so important as you say that panicking in session and i'm thinking of all the withdrawal therapists who have a really strong pursuer show up in session and can feel themselves start to withdraw around that energy. And I think what can be helpful is just to understand is that the pursuer is oriented to fight, to approach, to do anything they can to stop abandonment from happening. And even if they have to use negative things, right? If their partner's walking away and they're, you know, rather than say nothing and just let it go, like, I'm going to let my partner retreat, they'll come back later, like, that might be in a secure relationship. But for an anxious pursuer, they're like, nope, nope, you're not going away from me, even if I have to insult you, you're such a this or you're such a that, you know, because if you turn around and you engage with me, then we're still connected, at least, even though we might be fighting for a pursuer, fighting is still a form of connection. Exactly. Exactly. Fighting is better than silence. And it's yeah. better than abandonment. Yeah. Yeah. So how how could a therapist who's maybe a withdrawer show up for a pursuing client, a pursuing client in session? How a withdrawal therapist? Yeah. Like what could they do? If they have a pursuer show up in session and they're sort of feeling that energy what could they do to show up for that client? And it would sort of be a model also for the withdrawing uh, yes. partner. Yes. Uh, and also I think for the pursuer, because actually sometimes uh, we see that also who is a pursuer in their life, it has difficulties in matching the energy of the pursuer and understanding the pursuer. Uh, because I, I think that uh, George Fowler said in a course still at the end, everyone loves the withdrawer at the end. <laughs> so it mm -hmm. doesn't matter if the pursuer is putting so much energy. So some pursuer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is, it's terrible. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, but 
I'm going to because so pursuers to... are people too. <laughs> they need some love, and people seem to get like really freaked out by pursuers. Exactly. And exactly. you know, being a, a pursuer myself, I'm just like, we're not all that scary. We're not trying to scare anybody. We just don't want to be abandoned or rejected. Exactly. So what something that can happen and that that I'm sorry that can help and that helped me a lot. It's really even before session, just stop and try to remember and to image picture in me into myself the image of that woman or that man and how how is scared and how is unfair and how is uh, terrible to be in a place uh, where inside you you have like monsters i mean you you feel like you are a monster sometimes for your partner and you are alone and it doesn't matter how much you work hard, but at the end of the day, when you try to get some closeness, some love, probably you will be rejected or you will be described mm -hmm. as too needy. Um, so I hate that I, word, maybe. Exactly. It pathologizes I, something we're exactly. wired for. Exactly. I think that you said uh, in a recent video, if I remember well, that actually in our culture we have so many words for describe in a bad way the 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 needs the healthy needs of connection mm -hmm. and and also in the metaphor when we when when we imagine the metaphor for the withdrawer every every metaphor the pursuer is always in a place like i'm using a hammer yeah, uh, I'm using like I'm a perpetrator or something. Exactly, exactly. So even if we if we know that it's not that uh, it's not pathologic, but yeah. somehow this is something that is inside, and this is, is inside also of the uh, inside of the procurer, because uh, the usually the the uh, the, the critic cat came. Mm -hmm. yeah go out it's something that uh, we because i'm a pursuer too we yeah. use with ourselves mm -hmm. so after the explosion we stayed there and we said oh i did it again mm -hmm. i i said that i will not uh, scream will not said that and i did it again and uh, yes i i he stayed there engaged with mm -hmm. me, but now I'm alone again. Mm -hmm. So I think that a therapist uh, uh, can really work uh, on trying to, to tune into this image of loneliness uh, and sadness and, uh, and... Yeah, their dilemma. Yes. Because the pursuer's biggest fear is their partner's not going to be able to see or understand them, that their their partner's never going to show up for them and meet their needs or want to meet their needs. And I think their fear in therapy is that the therapist is going to see them as crazy or drama or overly emotional or rational or ratty, all these ugly words, and that they're going to sort of take the withdrawer's side and they're going to be left out in the cold, still not being understood still being misunderstood, right? Because they don't want to be seen as a perpetrator or a monster or any of those things, right? Because that's not who pursuers are on the inside. They're just terrified of being abandoned and their body mobilizes into danger. And, and we need pursuers, right? Because pursuers are the ones that are like, when a tough thing happens, they'll step up and say, okay, I'm willing, I'll do it, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. get stuff done. Exactly. exactly. But, uh, and which is, uh, I think, really important. You mentioned uh, two times like craziness, uh, no? They are looks, uh, they are looks like crazy. But yeah. uh, um, it, I, I, it's something that uh, pursuer were 
oh, my English doesn't help me now. Uh, they are bring uh, to that place of craziness because uh, if you are alone, if you are sad, if you feel stuck, doesn't matter. If you stay calm, nothing change. If you scream, nothing change. You are frustrated. You, and, and you stay alone in, in your mind with all these voices, with yeah. something, with someone beside you. And he's not there or she's not there. So you just are in your mind. This is a good recipe for craziness at some point. Yeah. Because after year and year and year of this, it's normal. <laughs> and so the anxious part which came up and the fight is healthy. It's a healthy response to don't be stuck in that place of suffer. Yeah, I like what you're saying is, you know, it's like if one of the best things a therapist can do is just show up for that pursuer, go into their fire and say, like, I get that you just want to be seen as somebody who loves, who, who wants to be heard, who wants to be reasonable. Your strategies may not be effective, but, you know, you're not a monster. And, and most most pursuers, I love what you said, is most pursuers don't start out just like screaming at their partner, you know, they get there eventually over time. And they also sort of feel like nothing works, right? It's like, well, I'll try the nice approach. Pursuers will often say, I've tried everything. And no matter what I do, I just can't get my partner to respond. And so they get super frustrated. And then they get angry. And when they go into angry mode, their body again compels them to that approach mode, to that pursue, that fight mode. And that's what they do to survive, right? It's like, maybe if I rattle the cage, the person inside will wake up and, and yeah, okay, please yeah. stop rattling the cage. But yeah, yeah. It doesn't always work, but. <laughs> exactly. So they're really like wanting the therapist to come into their world and to see them as an attachment being who just desperately wants to be loved and attended to and mm -hmm. that they're working hard and that they're not trying to be mean or crazy or any of those things, but that there is something real happening in their world that's very frustrating and very painful. Yes, yes. And uh, uh, touching pain, the pain, we start to move from the stage one through mm -hmm. the stage two. Because um, when we get near the stage two, the pursuer, as we saw, he will start to slow a bit down, can pop up, but not with that much um, strength and energy. power and energy. And in, in stage two, into the blame, when we arrived at the blamer softening, we really need to enter into that pain. And we need to, to help them to open up and watch and see the image of the monster sometimes that they picture inside and share with the partner yeah. and um, and this is the so th that's why the the pursuer softening event is one of the most challenging also for the therapist and the, is the ones uh, with the um, more impasse that can have in blocks yeah uh, it's it's really, it's really, it's difficult. It's, uh, mm -hmm. it's difficult. Yeah, you're, you're there in the fear, in the yeah. terror, in the. That's big, and that comes down. So in stage two, when you're in pursuer softening, right? So we're working in steps five, six, and seven, and you know this is working with their inner self. So the part of me how I see myself, which has been shaped by the fact that nobody's ever really shown up for me or I've been abandoned or rejected a lot. So a lot of pursuers 
have developed a negative self-image as a result of that. Mm -hmm. um, and that can make it hard for them to trust that someone else will show up for them. You'll often hear like the, once the withdrawing partner starts to engage and share their inner world, they're like, is this a trick? I don't know how to trust that. <laughs> You're just placating me because <laughs> I've never heard it before. It's so strange. Like I like it, but I don't know how to trust that it's real. Right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, I love how you talked about the blocks and some of their blocks come up is just, you know, I've had so many, you know, like pursuers have had so many experiences of being abandoned that, that, a lot of them have developed this idea that they're not lovable, right? That people don't like them. They really knew them. They wouldn't like them. And so even when people do try to show love and acceptance, they don't know how to believe it. They don't know how to trust it. So they often have a little bit of trauma right there and start rejecting the very thing that they're craving. Mm -hmm. They just don't know how to believe that it's for them, that, that they're worthy of that. Precisely. This is uh... The, the, when you said they, they start to feel unlovable, this is something that really show up a lot when we go into the pursuer softening. And, um, and as you mentioned, uh, they, uh, they uh, experienced these several times. They, they came from an anxious attachment style, so they experienced really probably usually into their family or so. And uh, so what we are asking them to do, it's really some, the, the most scary thing probably that they uh, are going, that they can yes. do. And speaking from personal experience, you know, so... EFT has just been so wonderful for helping me to get to know myself. I mean, I've done therapy before, but EFT just has a way of helping you uncover corners you didn't know hadn't been cleared out. And so, you know, in, in my EFT journey, you know, really learning about my own strategies and styles and stuff, you know, I, I came from an anxious pursuer and you know, one of the things that you'll see with anxious pursuers is even when they repair, you know, that they're good at owning their mistakes, they're willing to do that oftentimes, but even when they repair, they tend to not trust that the repair was good enough because they probably had, you know, someone who told, you know, they apologized and that person said, yes, everything is fine, but then that person just started avoiding or going away and so abandonment. So, you know, even when they repair, they might start anxiously pursuing their partner around that repair. Like, are things really good? Are things really good? To the point where they sort of like over repair and then they end up sort of driving the other person bonkers. It's like, enough, why don't you just trust it? Why don't you believe it? Yes. So often we need to work also around the grief of the pursuer for all the years that mm -hmm. he or she uh, felt deprived. Mm -hmm. So there is also, this could be really a big uh, a block to, to, to this. So yeah. we, we need to work uh, also on the grief uh, of, yeah. of this. The past mm -hmm. pains of people yeah. not showing up for them. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, also, um, this is in, I, I, when, when they can really reach uh, and ask uh, and, uh, and the withdrawer also reach back and hold this, uh, they start to experience uh, a new positive cycle. We, it's a, a really big, big, big shift into the... Um, into this dynamic. So, and it's something virtuous, uh, if the word uh, exists in English. But uh, so they, they, they really start and learn how to ask because, yes, some people need to be reassured, not just one time. And it's normal, it's, it's healthy because mm -hmm. sometimes the pain was so big that they need more than once. Mm -hmm. And the big shift uh, is uh, that the withdrawal now, he's, uh, uh, 
he can see this and he want and he feel important and he feel the power to hold this um, yeah. vulnerability this pain and and he can take care and he feel like uh, oh she's not uh, demanding she really needs me she needs my help she needs my suiting uh, my yes. care my comfort uh, so yeah. now i don't feel a failure a failure i feel important yeah it's uh, i want to to feel that way more and more and more and so yeah have to be um, a positive a really positive. yeah I like how you say that. So it's sort of even though we'll do withdrawal re-engagement first, you're sort of just getting them up to a certain level to where you can, then you're going to kind of start, you might do both side by side. You might do, you know, some sessions just pursuer, really focusing on the withdrawal. And you might have both. And even as you do pursuer softening, it's also going to help continue to engage the withdrawal because like you said, you know, helping the withdrawer to see themselves as capable um, at loving their partner, at showing up for them, at providing for their needs, which is something that they oftentimes have not felt because their partner was so critical, right? So as they see themselves more capable, they're more likely to show up because they're experiencing success. And the more they show up, the safer the pursuer is going to feel to ask vulnerably to say, hey, like, I'm really scared you know, or I'm worried about this. Could you just reassure me versus like, why did you do that? Or, you know, why don't you do this? You know, instead of poking or even asking with that little bit of a jab at the end of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There is, um, yeah, the, 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 uh, there is a part, uh, a step into the, the pursuer softening in which we really help the withdrawer to remain engaged Mm -hmm. And um, it's we have to pay the attention to help uh, him or her stay engaged, but without going into positive, just positive cycle and just uh, kind of uh, have a good bond now before the pursuer is really showing up. So it's really, as you said, like working with both of them at some point, like stay yeah. engaged, don't, don't be scared, tune into that, but don't hold yet. Yeah. Like yeah. wait that the pursuer share. And pursuer, the pursuer will need repeated visits, per, repeated exper uh, experiences of asking for them their needs asking for support and reassurance or love and comfort and having that withdrawal show up for them to really fully start to trust right is that and trust isn't destroyed just by lies it's not lies that often destroys i mean that's definitely one of the easiest ways to destroy trust but a lot of times people don't have trust when they can't rely on people so it's trust in a different way and so you know, when they can start to see their partner as dependable, that when I know that I reach for you, you're going to be there for me, they're going to start to feel more secure. And that security is going to lead to less anxiety, hence the softening. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Knowing that the other will be there. And maybe yeah. sometimes he will not be there. But it's not going to like shake the whole foundation. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It yeah. Be they're, they're no, they know they're going to be able to come back to that repair. So there's still a level of dependability there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So this is amazing, Julia. You're so fantastic. And I love that you are a fellow pursuer. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you know so much about pursuers. This is wonderful. Now, so you're in Italy and you also are bringing EFT to Brazil. So what are your websites? How can people find you? Okay, people can find me 
on two websites. I had the website of the Italian community with the, my colleague Andrea, the other trainer of Italy, which is uh, www.eftitaliacommunity.com. And I have the, site, the website of the center, which is www.eft. Uh, Trattino, the, the line. Dash. <laughs> sì, yes. Uh, Norditalia.com. Maybe I will write. And uh, this website is going to be translated in Portuguese. Great. And um, also my email, Giulia.altera. Chiocciola. Um, Hotmail.com. Yeah. Hotmail.com. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hotmail. That's one that's been around for a long time. I still have a Hotmail account out there. Yes, yes it's about 15 years or something like that. And I'm going to put, uh, so in the YouTube video, so this is also a podcast, guys. So if you're on iTunes or Podbean or any of those, you can also pick up We Heart Therapy on there. But if you're on YouTube, I'm going to put... Um, Julia's uh, web addresses in the description for the video as well as her email address. So if you're looking for those, those resources, you want to get in touch with Julia, then you can um, go through YouTube and uh, link those in the video and directly contact her. And so, so some of the folks that are uh, speak Portuguese, they can just get in touch with you and, and you can connect them with resources for learning EFT yes. in their area. Of course. Perfect. Thank Perfect. You. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for being on our show today and just for, you know, contributing this part about Pursuers. It's so amazing to have you all the way from Italy. Thank you. Thank you. It was really a great pleasure and emotion also. <laughs> so oh, thank you. That's wonderful. And thank you so much to our viewers. Without you, we wouldn't have a channel. So thank you for continuing to watch and make mm -hmm. sure that you hit subscribe because more videos are on the way.